Hey, good morning, church. I feel like, I feel like Josh's piano is close to me, but that's, we'll be okay with that. Uh, well, as I said, good morning. My name is Craig Turnbull, and uh, I get to serve on staff across all three of our campuses as Bannockburn's teaching pastor. Uh, my job, uh, in a nutshell, is to teach the Word of God. I love my job. There's not a, a bit of me that deserves to have this job. But God in his grace and God in his mercy has allowed me to be here and allowed me to be here at this church. Love my church. Love its people. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I receive that love. Um, I've been here seven months now and I'm glad to be here. And uh, I'm glad to be here even on uh, difficult and painful weeks. Uh, been a tough week for our church. Been a tough week in many other ways. Been a tough week on a global scale. As we look around the world and losses of life in places like Palestine and Israel. It's been a tough week maybe even for you on a personal scale. Maybe you got some news. Maybe you saw some numbers. Maybe you spoke to a doctor. Maybe you talked to a family member. Maybe there's pain in your own heart. Maybe even that kind of pain that you're not quite willing to show other people just yet because maybe you can't even believe it quite yet. What do we do? Well, we bring our heavy, broken, confused hearts to the Lord. We ask questions of him as worship. He calls to us and says, call to me in the day of trouble, says the Lord. He says to us, cry to me and I will answer you, says the Lord. He says, boldly approach the throne of grace that you might have grace and mercy in time of need, says the Lord. Dependence upon him for our church, for our world, for our own personal lives is worship. When we cry out to him and we say, please help, that's worship. But balancing this as well is also the sovereignty of God. As I have said often this week, it's one thing to say that you believe that God is in charge of all things, and it is another thing to actually believe it, because honestly, that's a slippery belief, right? God is in charge of all things, and yet still we get racked with hard news. And frankly, that's why we pray. And so I'm going to begin our service by doing just that. Would you bow with me as we go to the Lord and ask for help? Father, we confess right away, in truth, from your word, that there is no man who is in charge, that there is no government who is in charge. There is no president, there's no governor who is in charge. No cancer is in charge. No sickness is in charge. No one else is in charge of my life except the King of Kings. And we have just spent almost three chapters looking at the total and complete sovereignty of God over everything. So God, please press those truths into our hearts even this day. That we bring our confusion to you, that we bring our hurt to you, that we bring our questions to you, that we ask for help from you, God. 
that we would learn to walk by faith and trust. Please, God, be strong to us today. Please, God, carry us today. And then, Lord, be glorified among us. Be glorified in this church. Be glorified in this world. Be glorified in my life. Please, God, lead us now, we pray, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just be frank, now more than ever, we need, we need the Lord's voice to speak to us. Now more than ever, we need the Lord's voice to speak to us. And so that's why today, uh, I'm going to do the job that I'm convinced that God wants me to do. Uh, in my own confusion, I'm not confused about that. Uh, and so, today, we're going to continue on in our Colossians series. And we're going to go to the very next verse. So if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you join with me in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. And let me set the stage for us. We are in our sixth of eight weeks in the middle of your new favorite book of the Bible. And as we have said at the beginning, the central message of the book of Colossians is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than all things, and he is sufficient for everything in my life. And so far in this book, we have taken an incredible, almost galactic journey where we have seen the grand scale of just how incredible Jesus Christ is and his message of the gospel really is. That God was not willing that we should perish in our sin, in our selfishness, but that he sent his son to die for our sins so that by faith in him, we could have life and life with him forever. And because he is this great and awesome eternal king over a great and awesome eternal kingdom, that means that this message is as true now as it was when it was first given. It's as true in 2023. It is changed Changing lives in 2023 just like it did 2,000 years ago. And in century after century after century, the gospel changes life after life after life. That's just how big it is. Because Jesus is the Lord over time and all mankind. And when I take that truth into my life, it changes me forever. It's just that huge. But this truth is the truth that changes us from the inside out. Gives you a new life and new love and new hopes and new goals. And now today, a new way to interact with the people closest to you in this life. So think of it this way. Jesus is the Lord over time, over all mankind, but he's also the Lord over my home. He's just as much the Lord of the light years as he is over the living room. Over every room in my home, over every relationship, every interaction, Jesus is to be the Lord of my home. That's the point of today's message. Jesus, the Lord of my home. Or is he? Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. We'll read the whole passage. Verse 18 starts this way. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for what wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, let's dive in to God's word together today. And by the way, uh, let me just tell you how I got to this passage. It's a bit of a funny comment, okay? So my parents are in town today, and my parents asked me, hey, will you preach in South Austin? And I said, no, actually, you're not supposed to preach in South Austin during your visit. My parents then said to me, aw, So then I, I shuttled down the office, 47-year-old man that I am, and knock on the door of Casey Benson. And I say, hey, Casey, you're supposed to preach this weekend. But my parents really want to see me in South Austin. <laughs> and Casey goes, well, what passage are you supposed to preach? And he goes, you know what? I'm happy to make the switch. <laughs> so that said, I am super thankful. By the way, my parents are Canadian reserved, Okay. They're right back there with my wife. You drown them, okay? You go full bore Texan on them, okay? You have my permission. All right, I want to dive into God's Word together today in all seriousness, and I want to show you uh, two introductory comments. First of all, in the text you just read, you can see them pretty clearly. There's three relationships, right? Did you see them? There's the marriage, wives, husbands. I'm going to spend most of my time there. There's also child raising, children and dad. And then the biggest discussion, the bulk of what he's going to do, I'm going to summarize a little bit more of bond servants and their masters. Now, very likely he means bond servants that are inside of the home. These are house household servants, though we're going to see there's a lot more broader application, okay? So three relationships, those are the three we're going to point out today, but also understand this, this passage was massively countercultural. It still is today. When Paul wrote these words, these words that we have just read, honestly, were probably the most controversial words the Colossians read. These would have been the words that they said, wait, what did he say? These would have been the words that said, well, if this is what Christians believe, I'm out. You see, in the ancient Roman times, there was only one person who mattered in the home. And that was the man of the house. Every other member of that household, every other person in that household lived to serve that one man. And so to his wife, that one man would say, you stay in that part of the house. You are tasked with the household affairs and bringing about male children to me. And if you bring a female child into the house, she may not last long. And don't you dare ever talk about what I do when I walk down to the temple and talk with the women of the temple. Now to his children, again, if you're a girl, I don't care anything about you. I probably don't even have a part in naming you. Many Roman women were just named after their mom. So you could have a household filled with the same name if they're all women. And the man would say, and by the way, I don't care about your day-to-day. If you're a boy, though, uh, you better toe the line and do what I say, and you better not embarrass me. And you can grow up and be exactly like me with your family. And then to his slaves, 
he would say, I own you in every way imaginable. You see, in ancient Rome, the man was in charge. Nobody else mattered in society. Nobody else mattered in the home. He was a local god of his house. Just like Caesar was the god of the empire, he was the god of his home. This is house god. This is dad god. This is master god. They were all over the place in the Roman Empire. It was socially acceptable to beat down your family. But Paul says, not so fast. I'm almost three chapters into telling you that there is one God who is supreme and sufficient in all things, awesome in his glory, awesome in his power, and is robed in splendor. And this same God who created all things, who sustains the atomic forces of life, this same God who rules over all things, even this great and awesome God, listen, doesn't treat people like that. Paul says, you are patterning your lives after the emperor. That's the old king. But there's a new king, and he behaves very differently. And he wants you to act like him. Over every room, every relationship, every interaction, Jesus is to be the Lord of my home. Okay, so let's pick this apart. Let's go into the text now. I want you to see this verse 18. Wives, it says, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Jesus is the Lord of my home. Here's the first relationship I want to give you this. We'll call it as a prayer. Lord, may you be the Lord over my marriage. Here's the application point. God, would you be the Lord over my marriage? Verse 18, I'll be honest with you, has got to be near the top of the most detested and misunderstood verses in our culture. Now to understand verse 18, here's what I want to do. I'm not going to do this often with God's word, but I'm going to tell you what verse 18 does not say. Because quite frankly, the culture puts on it things that it does not say. Okay? So here's the first thing. Verse 18 does not say obey. It doesn't say wives, obey your husbands. Obey regardless of the motive. Uh, so wife, if, if, if husband says, I want chicken, well then he gets chicken. Husband says, I want to spend our money this way. You have no say. You just, he just gets to do it. If, wife, if husband says, you know, I want intimacy, well then you just have to obey. The only answer to obey is yes. Husband, God, whatever you say. But Paul doesn't use that word obey. And it's not like he doesn't know what the word means because he uses it in verse 20. He uses the word submit. And he does so for two good reasons. First reason is because submission is a voluntary gift by a wife to her husband. She makes a choice to surrender her will to another. In conversation, dialogue, we understand, and she chooses. Because let's be honest, she has a choice. But the second reason he chooses submit is really the most important reason. Because submission is what Jesus did. Submission is exactly what Jesus Christ has done to the will of the Father. Again, in concert, dialogue, agreement, mutual love and support. And yet Jesus says, yes, I will submit to the Father's will. Philippians, if you want to read it, chapter 2 goes on into great detail about how much Jesus was willing to do for the plans of the Father for the salvation of the world. So what does this tell us? What are we learning? It's telling us that 
to put yourself in a place of submission to another person is not an inferior position. It's a divine position with a divine characteristic at root. Sometimes men, though, they, we have stupid thoughts. You can write that down if you like. <laughs> Sometimes men believe that God has ordained their position in the home because somehow they're smarter or because somehow they're better, or because somehow they're not so easily tricked. I have heard this. I have seen God's word hijacked for these dumb reasons. But to believe that is to forget immediately what we learned in the previous verses from last week. Because Paul has just said that in Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female. There's no second-class citizen. There's no second-place citizen in Christ. In the created order, in both salvation and redemption, men and women are equal, 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 equal. And they're considered equal, but they're not the same. And by the way, anyone who tells you that men and women are equal and they are the same has never lived with someone of the opposite sex before. My wife is so wonderfully, complicatedly different than I am. We are not the same, but God says we are equal. And just because God has ordained certain roles within marriage does not mean, men, that you're better than your wife. In fact, it means you have more responsibility on your shoulder, more accountability upon you to lead your family, to, to care for your wife in a way that honors Christ. You're asked to lead, but you'll be held to account. But I'm sorry, we were, we were supposed to be talking about the wives. So uh, your turn will come in a second, guys. I want you to notice also what it does not say, okay? Notice that the text says, to your husbands. Did you see that? And, and honestly, what a relief that is, right, ladies? God's word is not prescribing that women submit to all men. That, too, may be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. My wife is my wife. And she gives to me the gift of submission in my role over the home. She doesn't have to listen to you. And by the way, she won't listen to you, okay? <laughs> Please also notice this, that it says, wives submit to your husband. Husband. Some men are dumb enough to try and deceive our daughters into thinking that this journey of dating and courtship, that somehow they should submit to their boyfriend's directions and leadership. Young ladies, don't you dare. Don't you dare let another man lead your life until he has made a permanent commitment with you. God's word calls husbands to lead wives, not boyfriends, not fiancés even, or some guy who's kicking it around for a spin. Don't submit to these goons. They got to earn you first. And in the absence of a husband, it's a father, but we'll talk more about that in just a second. But I'm sorry, we, we were supposed to be talking about the wives. Um, your turn will come, okay, guys? Verse 18 also says, as is fitting to the Lord, as is fitting, as is right as is righteous to the Lord. Do you know what that means? 
That means that in your submission to your husband, wives, imperfect though he may be, because frankly, he's imperfect. That's an act of faith-filled worship to the Lord. It's also an act of worship as you're called to holiness in this, meaning that your husband does not get a right to call you to sin. If submitting to your husband's means to sin, then don't do it. Let me just say one more thing before we leave this behind. And this is important. No woman should ever submit to or stay in a house with a husband who is violent or abusive. There are some behaviors that should not be tolerated. It's tough to live with men. We're not perfect. But a man who takes his authority and his size and his strength and hurts his wife is a man who is acting completely contrary to the example of God and Christ that has been given to us. You see, Jesus gave his life. Jesus sacrificed his life for you and I that we might have life. Jesus gave up his life upon a cross. And a man who hurts his wife is the exact opposite of that love. No way, ladies. No way. As is fitting to the Lord. The Lord doesn't want you in danger like that. Okay. Let's switch gears. And for a change, let's talk about men. Verse 19 says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Imagine how countercultural that would have sounded to Rome. It would have been okay to say, respect your wives. It would have been okay to say, provide for your wives. But that's not enough for God. No, love your wife and do not be harsh with them, he says. Let's, back up. Let's take the back end of that, the harsh piece. Now, for sure, being harsh with your wife includes all that garbage I just mentioned. The bullying, the intimidation, the shouting. But, listen, but for each of us as husbands, we need to ask ourselves the question, what does being harsh with my wife look like with my wife? Something that Catherine and I have made a priority in our home from day one is this, we, we don't yell. Uh, well, one caveat, I'm kind of losing my hearing, so sometimes uh, she does yell. Uh, but 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 no, no yelling in anger. And, and we've had moments over the 25 years of our marriage of interacting with one another where we're talking. And my wife will say to me, you're yelling at me. Which, of course, I'm not yelling by volume. But she'll say to me, but you're using your version of yelling. And you say, oh, that's cute. But I say, that's harsh with my wife. See, every husband needs to understand and discern what being harsh looks like with their wives. And the best way to determine that is to just examine how your wife responds. Does she crumple when you speak to her? Or is there communication as there should be? Should be there, there be, is there dialogue? Is there disagreement? Or is she shut down? You just won. She's scared to bring it up again. She can't look you in the eye. You showed her. Whatever that was you just did, was being harsh with her. And of course, this all sits under the umbrella of loving your wife. Now, when we talk about this truth, there is an important parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that we have to look at really quickly because in Ephesians, Paul talks exactly what this love should look like. I think it's important for us to see. Ephesians chapter 5, I think I have it on screen here for you. It says this, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, love from the husband, husbands, love from you should be self-sacrificing, self-giving, you before me kind of love, just like Jesus loved us. How did Jesus love us? With his whole life and without any expectation of return. That's not how some of our marriages work, right? I give to get. I'll do this, so you do that. I took a step in, she didn't take a step in, so now I'm taking a step out. God's word calls us husbands, we are always moving forward in love to our wives. The Bible, listen, the Bible does not teach that it is the husband whose needs come first and whose comfort is the most important. In this thing that we have called marriage, the husband's drive to be first is chopped down with the acts of the gospel. Love like Jesus, serve like Jesus, care for your wife like Jesus did. And honestly, this is really why the world doesn't like this passage or the understanding of submission in the church and, and all the language that we use around it is because they've seen it done so poorly. Sometimes men think the wrong things. We, 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 like it's like, she should be submitting. Why isn't she submitting? Well, you should be loving. You should be moving forward in love. Jesus himself said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a great verse on how to be a husband. Wives are to submit to their husbands as an act of worship. Husbands are to love their wives like Jesus. And he's our model, a one-way, never-ending, without expectation of any kind of return, love. Now that's as countercultural then as it is now today. Is it easy? No. Fail a lot. I fail a lot. But listen, Jesus is our example, husbands, and Jesus is also our source of forgiveness. And I'm praying for hearts in this church and in this room for men to be changed. Husbands, some of you came here today to hear these truths. Men who now need to stand up, to step up, and to love like Jesus loved. Not looking for things in return. So many men, though, today, so many men looking for heroes. So many men looking for examples. Who's the strongest? Who's the bravest? Who's the smartest? Who's the, who can do this? Who can do, hey, men, men, listen, it's Jesus you're looking for. Can you think of anyone stronger? Can you think of anyone more courageous? Can you think of anyone wiser than Jesus? Husbands, if you want to be the manliest man possible, it is not measured by the size of your truck it is measured by how you look like Jesus. It's found in how you behave like him. Listen, I'll say this and, and then we'll move on. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us so much. Husbands, love your wives the same way. Jesus has to be the center of my home. That includes my marriage, but it also includes this secondly. It also includes the way I raise my kids. Lord, help me with this in our home. Here's verse 20. Verse 20 says this, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
Let me help you understand verse 20. If there's a young person here and you have parents, what does verse 20 mean? It means exactly what it says it means. I know what you're thinking, though, but it's pretty airtight. Everything means everything, even when they're just unreasonable, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when they don't get you, even when they may be being a little dumb. And yes, of course, of course, it doesn't mean that you should submit to them when they're calling you to sin. But other than that, quick looking for loopholes. It means to obey. And it pleases the Lord that we, that you, would listen to your parents because sometimes, sometimes they may be right. And as children, we understand as parents that you don't quite understand how furiously you could love somebody. This is not a romantic kind of love. It's a love that God flicks the switch on in your heart where I cannot not love you with all my heart. And this is why I believe God calls us to think of him like our father, a love like that. Can you believe that, young people? Can you believe that maybe your parents are seeking the best for you? I think it pleases the Lord because sometimes this is what God calls us to do as well. Calls us to believe, even when we maybe don't understand the circumstances. Even when there's difficulty to remember the truth. But let's switch gears here and for a change talk to the men. Verse 21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What does that mean? Well, it means this, as a dad, you have a child and you push them so much they get angry and discouraged. And like discernment with your wife, this is discernment with your child as well. Because every kid is different. Not every kid responds to the same encouragement. Some kids are demoralized by some things. Not every kid responds the same way. Things that you might have tried with another kid may not work with another. Uh, how you were raised may not work with your kids. The point here, Dad, is this. Don't beat down your kids. You're a father who's supposed to be acting like Jesus. And Jesus' desire for his children is that they would grow up into maturity, guided by his kind hand. That's the same for you. Now, it doesn't say moms here. And that's not to say that moms can't provoke their children to anger. But I think what Paul is trying to communicate here is he understands this, is that dads are way more likely to push back harshly on their children. Try and dominate. It's my house. Don't you dare test me. My way or the highway. You don't like it, you can leave. Here's the principle, though, from this passage. Dads, treat your children like Jesus treats you. Patience, kindness, forgiveness, and gentleness. Not using your size or your strength for anything but to shelter, to protect, and to guide. Not using your firepower to tear down your kids, but to build them up. Not using your strength to hurt them. Now occasionally, you may want to use your strength to shout embarrassingly loud at your daughter while she's marching in a parade. Or maybe to throw socks at your son from across the room. Or maybe to boast to others about how brave your daughter is stepping into high school, not knowing anybody. But you get the idea, right? Jesus is to be the Lord of my home. That includes my marriage and the way that I raise my kids. And now he's also to be the Lord of my home in this. Thirdly and finally, 
in the way that I work. Let me explain this. We don't have a ton of time to cover the third relationship, but let's look at verse 22 and onwards. Uh, Here's the fifth distinct people group that he addresses. Verse 22 says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Now, from what we've just read and the time that we have left, I want to pull some application out of this. And we can apply this passage more practically, and it's legitimate for us to do this, uh, to the worker and to the boss relationship. That's a fair application. Again, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump right into those applications. Uh, These are Jesus' central truths uh, for workers. I'll pull them up on the screen behind me so that you can see them. Uh, Here's the first truth. The Lord sees my heart. The Lord sees my heart, what's going on inside of me as I work. That's what he cares about the most. The Lord delights in my effort. As I work hard and work hard for him, he delights in that hard work. Uh, The Lord does not delight in laziness. The Lord does not delight in idleness. The Lord does not delight in, oh, I'll get to that something. The Lord delights in hard work. We're meant to work. And then lastly, from this text, you can see the Lord rewards my work that's done for him. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's dramatically transforming work. And here I don't mean work at church. Like, the only way that I can glorify God is by working for a church. I mean all work. Because all work can be holy work. You can serve at a church and glorify God, yes, You can be a police officer and glorify God. You can work at Sonic and glorify God. You can work at Target or Walmart. You can work at a Kmart if you could find one and glorify God. And why is this? Because everything you do, says Paul, that you do with a heart for the Lord, working hard and not necessarily for your boss, and you're working for God, that's worship. That's glorifying God. Imagine what this would do to your mind and your heart if all of a sudden you stepped into your next eight-hour shift and you said, today, today, I'm going to work for Jesus. Would that change the way you work? Listen, I'll say this. It should change the way you work. Because now, right now, if you're doing that, you're not working for that horrible boss anymore who never sees you, who doesn't care, who's kind of crummy at his own job. Now you're working for Jesus who loves you and who gave his life for you. And you take your life and you work as hard as possible for him and give it as a gift to him. And what makes it even more precious is in some circumstances only Jesus sees it. And you drop those coins in the bucket for Jesus. I'm serving you. That's the kind of worker the Lord wants to see. I love these. Uh, Have you ever seen these bumper stickers before? Um, these bumper stickers that say, my, jo- my boss is a Jewish carpenter. I like that. I like that. That's what we're talking about. While you've been sitting here, we've had some of our students put those on our, your cars out there. <laughs> but listen, imagine, imagine how that would change your attitude this week if you said, Jesus is my boss today. And I don't care if anybody else doesn't think my job doesn't matter. And nobody else sees me. And nobody else appreciates it. It's precious when Jesus sees me working hard for him. Imagine what that would do if you walked into work one day and you stood like Pastor Casey one morning and said, Welcome, 
to the worship service at work. Look at these last two verses. We're almost done. Verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. God sees. God sees the opposite of this, in other words. And then verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And here's the final big truth about my work. It's this, that Jesus is my master. You see, what Paul is trying to do here, he's trying to communicate that for each and every relationship in our homes and in our culture, Jesus is at the center. I'm either doing things for him and resembling submission to him in the way that I, I, I serve in my home or in my workplace. But Paul also says, don't think for a second that God doesn't see you. Don't think for a second that God doesn't see your day to day. And don't think that the Lord doesn't love it when you do all things for him. But likewise, don't think that just because you're in some temporary position of authority, that you don't have to answer for that someday. Whether it's in the way that you love and care for your wife or care for your children or be the boss, you got to live for Jesus over every room, every relationship, every interaction. Jesus is to be the Lord over my home. And that means in my marriage and with my kids and where I work. And why is that? Well, because when I see Jesus for who he really is, it changes everything in my life.